All right, you're listening to what? The Desiree Show. What's your name? Jeremy Ray. Okay, you want to say it again? <laughs> this is Jeremy Ray, and you're on The Desiree Show. Hi, it's Dave Berkfold, and you're watching The Desiree Show. Oh, wait, watching. I said watching. I can't say watching. Okay. Hi, this is Dave Berkfold, and you're listening to The Desiree Show. Happy Tuesday. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio. First downs and flip tricks. And it is the ninth day of July. We've had some shaking here in Los Angeles. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some earthquakes or what it's like. And, uh, and we're really grateful everyone is safe, though, however, and uh, no fatalities. SLS is in Los Angeles coming up at the end of the month. And I've got a pretty stacked lineup. If you guys uh, just continue to listen till the end of the show, I'll drop couple of the guests that are being coming in studio soon. But today, without further ado, I'm super thankful to welcome someone I've known since the 90s, former pro for GNS and Blockhead, founder of Acme Skateboards. Uh, oops, and my screen just died on me, so we're going to... Just make some stuff <laughs> I'll up. I'll just make, just make some, some things stuff up. up. <laughs> Ugliest well, that man was, in skateboarding. That was probably very... Uh, no, uh, he's also a real estate agent. Uh, well, no, I'm not or even, was, I, yeah, or well, was, exactly. dot, 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 uh, and also the owner of Inkjetta. Inkjenda. Inkjenda. Like Ink Agenda with a no Ink A. Agenda. He's helping me introduce himself. It's They're okay. the best stickers out there, by the way. <laughs> this guy's a list. Two tricks named after himself as well, named by no other than Neil Blender. And he's probably the funniest guy uh, I know. <laughs> Always super fun guy to have at a session um, and as I started the show off with Flash Gordon, he's the fastest guy in the bowl usually as well. <laughs> so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Jim Gray. Well, thank you. It's actually funny to hear your voice like through the microphone because that's like we talk to each other so differently when we see each other. So it's like, hello, this is Desi. I'm all professional and I'm going to speak properly. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Try. I try. No, you do well. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. No, uh, thanks for making the time. My second time. I got to come with Ron Allen before Ron and I are still in bro are still in a bromance we've just been in a bromance for you a know while, so. and your bromance I reached out to your bromancer and he didn't get back to me oh well you know it's so, okay I don't know if there's some friction going on there or not <laughs> with you two. we've had we've had no fights no <laughs> no um, fights that you're aware we haven't of. been cuddling as much lately so maybe that's it maybe he's maybe he's found a new man oh oh okay we're gonna we're this is a g-rated show so we're gonna keep it <laughs> on the g-rated low I'll try to remember no I can <laughs> no bromance I forgot about the bromance <laughs> with you and Ron um well Earthquakes, you know, uh, were, I, I was actually in, I mean, uh, I was raised in Newport Beach, um, and you were raised in Fountain Valley, yeah, uh, you know, exactly. Westminster, Westminster Fountain, Fountain Valley, Valley Orange County, um, and kind of were used to it. Um, but I was actually just left the movie theater with my mom at Fashion Island, and we were at the light on Jamboree and San Miguel, and it was like this longest roller wondering what was going on yeah and i looked over at the lady next to us my mom's like i think it's my car because she went over a bump and i'm like yeah i don't in the shack i think we're was that the first one or the second one? second one okay. this was a friday night i felt them both you know? and uh it was um it was long and we pulled up to the next light and i looked at the lady and we rolled down the window and she, and uh, she was just like in shock so i was like okay and i went on twitter and i'm like uh 
Felt that one here in Orange County. <laughs> well, I have some interesting earthquake stories, and I'll keep them quick. But uh, first one, speaking of Newport Beach, when my son Hunter was about a year old, uh-huh. we had the big uh, Glendale earthquake or whatever, uh, and we got kind of got out of the house. We all freaked out. Our one-year-old baby is, you know, there's an earthquake. Oh, my God, keep our baby safe. We went for a walk on Balboa Island, and one uh-huh. of the aftershocks came. Oh. And it was the weirdest thing ever because I never was standing by water when there was an earthquake. And I literally was on the boardwalk on Lido Island, and I watched I felt the movement. I looked and I watched the water pull away from the sand and then just slide back. It was the weirdest thing. It just like went back six inches and came forward. Crazy. Like, like the land just moved under it and the water didn't really move because it didn't move at the same pace. And that was the strangest earthquake thing. Uh, another thing, my sister happened to have been when the big earthquake was up north. She was on the Bay Bridge driving into the city. Oh, and she crazy. said she literally watched the front of the bridge buckling in front of her. And she saw the hood of the car that was in front of her because the bridge was buckling. And the, and the car was aiming up and down for a while. She just got off and it, it broke like 100 yards behind her. So those are some you know personal earthquake stories. But last week, so I was going to surf with Spidey uh-huh. uh, when the first one hit. I, my car was idling. I sat in it. And it was like 1030 in the morning. And it was, uh, it was like... I thought maybe someone snuck up and was rubbing, was pushing my car. You know, uh-huh. kind of. Like I was in my shop picking up my surfboards, and there's. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? So then I stood out of my car, and it just felt weird. And I looked, and all my wetsuits were swinging on the door, and uh, so that was the first one. The next one, kind I was of an just, inclination. Yeah. It was a little bit, yeah. Well, and no, other, and I think we're raised here, and so it's like it's like, oh, we're having an earthquake. Well, it takes oh, the length. We're having an earthquake. Oh, this one is kind of long. Oh, well, that's when you start going once on. it keeps going. I'm like, yeah. whoa, now this is weird. Yeah. So the next one was just sitting on the couch. I'm like. Okay, I feel a little rumbling. I feel a little movement. I go, starting to sway. You're like, after like 10 seconds of swaying, you, then you start going, well, holy shit, this is not slowing down. So I literally walked outside, whatever, looked around, everything was fine. But it was the, the second one was gnarly, the, the length of time. It was, was long. It was crazy. I mean, it was like, I feel like it was the duration of the light. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I was sitting at, uh, you know, on, you know, Jamboree. Yeah, right and Island, that's yeah. a big, that's yeah. a long light yeah. you have to wait for if you're not going south on it or north. But for the most part, still, yeah, we're used to it. We just kind of rumble with the punches, look around, wonder if anything's going to fall on us. I don't think any of us really take any of the precautions they teach us as children when it started. I think it would have to all be falling well, before we did it. it. They changed yeah. it, though, because it was forced to you're supposed to go under things, and now you're supposed to like go under sort of like, I don't know, make a space or something. Like we're, I don't know, it's just... Uh, we used to go out and run and lay on the yeah. cement. And, well, I think that you have to get far away from anything that can fall on you. You know, for instance, like I'm at, I'm at my work when it's happening, which is a, they call them a concrete tilt up. They actually pour those buildings flat and tilt them up. The reality is if you run out front, if you're not farther away, it's going to fall, it's gonna fall right down and lie right, lay it right on top of you. So you'll have to be nowhere One way or near the it. other you're going to be. Yeah. yeah so, um, but yeah, earthquakes, uh, I think just don't freak too many Californians out. But I think for someone who's never experienced it, I think if you're 50 years old and you come here and you're standing in an earthquake, you've never felt it before. It's got to be a hor- horrifically scary thing. Well, I, yeah, I'm not a fan of like those uh, tornadoes. Neither uh, you know, am I. Like in Tornado Alley. Or... I've been in a couple storms over the years doing skate stuff, and like in Chicago, and like all the lights go out, and you watch the, the little creek behind the uh, the hotel like fill up in like 30 seconds. You're like, oh shit! And also, the parking lot's all full. You're like, you've never seen that much rain come down in your life, and the and the thunder and lightning are so loud. That's scary to me because that's just something we're not used to. Yeah, my girlfriend's in Florida, and she said, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of like lightning strikes. Like you can't even take a bath. Like, it's kind of gnarly. It like, I didn't gnarly. realize that. You know, I was like, really? So we don't have it so bad. Our, our ground rumbles now and then, you know, whatever. It's just like. Yeah. No, totally. Now, do you have an earthquake uh, 
kit? <laughs> no, not really. Okay. I do have a few battery powered things like lights and stuff or crank crank batteries. I could see what's going on. But yeah, I don't have like the 55 gallon barrel full of food and water and stuff that I should. So I would be one of those people killing people at the grocery store trying oh, to get stuff. <laughs> we're not going to go there. No. <laughs> okay. So we're going to reset. So Jim is not going to kill people once he doesn't have No, I don't really plan things. on killing people. So. Um, okay. I know. That's good. <laughs> Um, uh, books. Are you reading any books? Do you read books? Um, I'm not a really big reader. I definitely, you know, read a lot of stuff on the internet. Um, I, I watch a lot of things. I really, I fall asleep a lot when I read. Uh -huh. uh, I did get one recently from John uh, O'Malley, the urethane revolution. Uh -huh. uh, and that's a pretty cool book, like the history of the skateboarding in the San Diego area. And that's uh it's it's some interesting stuff. Oh, urethane's um, right up your alley as uh, well. Urethane, yeah, I do. I'm kind of a fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's cool. I'm about halfway through that. Right. So. Uh, I, I'm, movies? Uh, you know what? I, I have a horrible memory for them. I love comedies. Okay, I could just tell you, I'm I'm a Zoolander, Austin Powers, Animal House. I mean, that's just my style. I like just wacky, irreverent stuff. I like the old stuff more than the new stuff. My son is an incredible big movie buff. It's the first thing he ever learned to operate was the VCR when he was one. Oh, he wow. has a film and television degree, but his whole life is just he loves movies, movies, movies. He owns thousands of movies, but. He remembers everything about them. Not only the movies, the actors. He remembers like who produced it and what. Like really, why do you even care? But he just, he's just so into it. The director yeah. that was his first movie. That was the first movie on this company. Blah blah blah. He's just he pays attention to all that stuff. So he takes me to movies, and then he'll still ask me later, like, yeah, you know that movie we saw. Blah blah. And I'm like, hey, what was going on in it? And he'll tell me, like, I think I kind of remember. So something about it doesn't really stick in my mind. But comedies, mm -hmm. I just remember that. Okay. So hill, you don't so. go to the movies. Oh, no, I do go to the movies because my kids are such a movie fan. Okay. Go, we're going to the movies. Let's go. To the, we're going to the movies. Went Thursday night. It's almost like not. I don't even get necessarily get asked. I get told I'm going to go to the movies on Thursday. What did you say? But then, uh, no, I didn't go. Re oh. not, not recently. I probably haven't been for like a month. Okay. But uh, but I do. I forget. Like a week later, I'll forget. You know the movie we saw last week. What was it called? I can't remember. So you don't um, remember the one I you don't. saw last month? I, I seriously don't. <laughs> that, uh, Skate movie. Um, what's the one that comes up to your mind, or what's the song? For the me, song. I'm just going to say anim, Animal Chin because that whole okay. thing was just the funniest. It was just out off the wall. It was wacky. Um, you know, it's, it, all my, I mean, my kids weren't even really diehard skateboarders, but they still loved watching it. I think it appealed to a skateboarder, a non-skateboarder. It was just irreverent. It was just off the wall. I really didn't. Uh, there's a lot of the skate movies that people talk about all the time. I've still never even really watched. Or sometimes I went to the premiere. And that's the one time I saw it. Never watched it again. People sit around and talk about line video days or all these things like a. I didn't care. To me, skateboarding is about skateboarding. I go skateboarding. Mm -hmm. and I really don't care what everyone's doing, you know? So um, uh, I, I see people sit around and talk about it like that's, that is what skateboarding is sometimes. That's probably one of my biggest kind of disconnects from a lot of skateboarders. It's like skateboarding is not video to me, even though I film a lot of stuff because I realize it's part of the, mm -hmm. the modern world. Um, how people skate on video, literally, to me, almost I give them no credibility for that. Unless I see them skate, then I determine how good of a skateboarder they are. Because I think that's such a misalignment in skateboarding, people's perception of who the best people are versus who actually are. I really only care to see people really skating, you know, so I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of just video parts. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you know, cause I know for me, it's like, there's certain, there's certain songs that always like I hear and I ha I can have a vision of 
of a of, video, of part. video part. You know, I mean, uh, I but, actually you know, get emails about old Acme videos. I mean, there was a, a, a band Dana Lynn that Johnny Cop and some of these guys were, and they let us use music for an old. And I will still get messages today, you know, twenty five years later, like, what song was that that was in the Acme video? And I'll have to go look it up and and ask someone. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a, no, I mean it's kind of because now and I want to. So now with skateboarding, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier when I was introducing you is that you at nineteen you wouldn't got your real estate license. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're really enthralled with with the wheels, with urethane, um, and skateboarding as well too. But it wasn't the only thing. You kind of had like this plan, not a plan B, but you had these other interests. Or yeah. the, and yet, you did you ever vision your life to be still as it is, completely encompassed with skateboarding as it has been? Absolutely not. I really didn't because I literally, you know, I was sponsored by you know Tracker, different companies. I would go down to these little these little industrial buildings where they were small and you know kind of you know mom and pop familyish, and and I always figured skateboarding was such a small little business that I could never do that. I needed to actually do something in the real world to make money and. And things like that. So I, yeah, I got my real estate license when I was 18. I was actually in the mortgage business. I was the head of underwriting for a mortgage company mm-hmm. by the time I was 21. Um, it wasn't until I ruptured my spleen skateboarding and I had to take time off work. And I kind of really sat and thought about it. Like, do I want to go back? Because I was working with these kind of crooked guys in the mortgage business, which I didn't really want to be part of. Mm-hmm. They were doing sketchy stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So I didn't want to go back to work there. So it was an excuse to get out of there. So I went down to Larry Balma at Tracker and said, hey, you know what? I'd like to help you do some stuff, but I'm not going to just be one of your $10 an hour guys. I mean, I already made 50 grand a year or whatever in the mortgage business. And I, and so we formed a company called Brainstorm Designs that we owned together. Um, and uh, I just did a bunch of random things. I sold the ads for Transworld. Um, I started the Tracker Wheel program, which later became A1 Meets. Uh, I made some watches for them. I made the little, little teeny washers that everyone uses on their trucks now. And, you know, um, instead of the big flat old school thing, just I dabbled in projects and, uh, and I took charge of them. I took care of the bookkeeping, took care of the money, took care of everything. So I, I ran the company and it was, it was good. And Larry taught me because he had a, a actual structure. We had a corporate board meetings at the attorney's office with a financial planner and, you know, um, and we got a little bit organized doing that. So, um, that was kind of my start, but I, I fell into it by looking for something to do while I was injured and not wanting to go back to the mortgage business. And, um, and you stayed right but I've always been fascinated by real estate and just always been, uh, but I don't, but I don't like the corporate culture. That's the thing. I hate the corporate culture. I really do. I never liked, I'd, I'd wear a suit and tie cause I had to, and I'd come up to some ramp in Huntington and it was just funny how guys was like, oh, dude, look at the kook. You know, and then I'd take my tie off, change, and I'd go ride the ramp. And after a couple of runs, you'd be like, oh, hey, bro. You know what I mean? It was just sort of things change uh, because people judge you based on your first outward appearance. And it was always kind of funny to see that, you know. Um, and the whole idea would change. All of a sudden, you were super cool. Like, hey, bro, are you sponsored? You know, because, I mean, you were, didn't ride just better than the guy. You kind of smoked him into the ground because, you know, I was a pro <laughs> skateboarder. And, you know, just they don't they don't know that. So, Yeah. No, it's kind of cool. I had a sim- – it's funny because you – I – um, I was working in the stock market and I started snowboarding and got sponsored and, um, you know, and then skated, really started skating as well. But I would go in in these Chanel suits and, uh, to the shop and then the shop actually ended up sponsoring me, but, you know, going in and they were like, who is this girl? And like, you know, she's in heels and like this nice outfit. And then, 
you know, and then I'd be skating and doing demos for them and just all kinds of stuff. It's kind of funny. It's totally kind of fun. Get it. it is fun. You know, um, I, I like. I don't like being anybody's. I don't live my life for anybody. Yeah. I, I love all the people I've met. I mean, the reason I play mostly around skateboarding is there's still so many nice people. I can go anywhere on this earth and say, hi, I'm coming to Belgium. And someone would say, I'll pick you up. I'll take you to dinner. You can stay at my house. You can do it. I mean, we could go to any state and say, I'm coming in town. Will someone show me where the skate shop, uh, the skate shop, the skate spots are? People will find you, take you. I mean, they're just, I've slept under pianos and mansions. I've, I've slept in little rat bag apartments. I mean, it's like, it's just that there's this crazy brotherhood, sisterhood that doesn't really exist in a lot of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And it did exist a little bit like in snowboarding. Cause still when you in go the to, early snowboarding, when, it did, when you yeah. go to the top of the mountain, the snowboarders still all kind of gather together, even if they don't know each other and get ready together and sort of follow each other down, whereas the skiers just come up and go off in all different directions. So even snowboarders yeah. still sort of bond, even though they're not total bros or hang out, but they at least they still cling together as a group, yeah. you know, um, and I always found that to be to be fascinating. And I, so well, I like early 90s, see that when I was doing it, it was early like 90, 91. And so all the pro skateboarders were snowboarders. Yeah. So that's. Kind of, and then so that's how I kind of take, started taking pictures. When I wasn't skating with them, I would take photos, and it was like, you know, Chris I mean, and Mark Roach and I was Noah part of the, er, of the early snowboard world. A lot know. of people don't realize because I was partners with Larry Baldwin, yeah. and I sold all the ads for Transworld. It was like I was there when they're like, "Well, we should do a snowboard magazine." We're like, "Okay, let's do a snowboard magazine." So, okay, I'm 23 years old, and and this, this what blows me away about the story is I would never send the 23 year old to do what they let me go do, yeah. and that was we're going to start a snowboard magazine. I set all the ad rates for all the magazine. Wow. Um, I I actually when I started working at Transworld, they didn't even know that there was an industry standard between a one page, a three quarters, a two thirds, whatever like that. I went and researched it all. I got all the media kits from like you know. Um, uh, like Vogue and yeah. whatever and stuff like that and, and, and you know Rolling Stone and I, and I found averages and just go look there's averages there's, there's just industry standard for a half versus two thirds and so on and so forth so I changed all the, the trans world skateboarding rates and then and I sold all the ads by myself I was the only ad sales rep and then they went to, went to start snowboarding and it was like okay so I set all the ad rates and everything like that I get on a plane and fly to Vegas I don't even have a pass to get into the ski show um, and they don't want sales reps in there. So I had to finagle and talk my way in the ski show. Which is something and then, skateboarders And then me, <laughs> me, 23-year-old, you know, in there to Jake Burton and Tom Sims going, hey, we have the back cover saved for you. We got this. And and those guys are like, yeah, we don't. We think it's kind of early for a magazine. I don't know if we're ready to commit. And then I have other guys like Jamie Salter, who was like, had bought Kemper snowboards. And he, he ended up being like the crazy, like, business dude in in there doing all sorts of crazy stuff but he was like begging i want the back cover i want and i'm like nope it's already taken and you know i mean here i like I said i like 23 years old and i'm like up against this like sharks you know and uh uh and i'm thinking like there's i don't know a 23 year old i would send to represent me to start a magazine yeah. you know um but we did and i and i was the, the ad sales and then rep for fran this, when did fran, uh, fran came in? on like the third year okay, i think okay yeah and then, and then when I left, like probably, I think maybe the third or fourth year, they hired five people. So okay. the sales became wow. those Chad Denena. All those guys were all hired when I left. So until and for Ch those don't don't know, Chad Denena also started Nixon watches. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, he's been a friend of ours for, for great, decades. Great, but, yeah. Still wish I could have invested in the company when they brought when they brought me the prospectus. You want to put your fifty grand in? Like yes, but I don't have an extra fifty because I'm spending it all on skateboard stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm I actually consider myself the luckiest guy in skateboarding. 
because, you know, I started out at 13 or 14 as an amateur sponsored kid, mm-hmm. uh, turned pro about 18. You wrote for GNS. I got to ride on a team with Chris Miller, Billy Ruff, Neil Blunder. I, I mean, just in about iconic uh, time. Ruff as well, yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I was always working, so I was never really quite the click guy. I didn't go to all the ad shoots. I didn't get the same kind of coverage right like that. You know, I still did okay, but I, I, I was focused on work at the same point. And a lot of those guys, their life was just skateboarding. You know. Talk about also there was this collaboration with Nike, how Nike sponsored all the GNS team, and you guys kind of got boxes or somehow. Yeah, yeah I don't you know. know. I mean, I, then, Steve Cathy, I think, arranged yeah. that somehow. But yeah, like every two months, just a box would get shipped to GNS, and, uh, and a variety just, of sizes. Uh, just, well, you know, they gave them our sizes, <laughs> okay. so we got all our sizes. So, and it was those old leather leather Nikes uh, that took like two months to wake them in, so you could even skate in them. So uh-huh. we basically would. Drive your car over? Well, I'd wear a pair for like two months without Uh skating in them. And I'd skate in them after that. And then the new pair would come and I could wear those in. Uh, An interesting story that one of the the very first skateboard videos ever made, team videos, was a GNS team video Mm -hmm. shot in one day. That was it. We're filming this on Saturday at Del Mar Skate Park, uh, Del Mar Skate Ranch. And I had only pair of shoes I had were a new pair. Oh, no. And so, and if you really funny, if you watch that video, you'll see how stiff I look. Like I did airs, <laughs> and I felt like I had two by fours on my feet. And uh, and it was really, you know, it was, it was, but that was it. That was the one day for that video to be filmed. So that was just what happened. And I still, anytime I ever see a clip from that, I go, damn, I can just see my freaking stiff, inflexible feet, you know. Um, but yeah, we were we were some of the early Nike team riders. Yeah, that's you know. Rad. So once I see people like you know, oh Nike's coming in and trying to take over skateboarding, I'm like, you know, they're just a footwear company. They're going to go for everything. You know, I personally would be the first to say I would personally spend my money for the skater-owned brand of anything if I could, and they're and they're making something as good. And I've tried to uh, always have that philosophy in general. And recently, I started riding Ace Trucks, whatever, because I want to. I'd rather ride a brand that skaters are in control yeah. of, you know, and so on and so forth. So. Um, you know, it's, it's just a choice. But Nike does make good skate shoes. I'm skating mostly in Nikes now. Um, okay. I print stickers for them. They've given me some shoes, and they're really good. So That works. You know. that and works. I print stickers for them. How's that? That's pretty cool. And, that's that's know, pretty crazy. And the Etnies guys, the skaters, and I love them. I don't print their stickers because they don't support just the skaters. They bid everything out and know someone's a penny cheaper. And, you know, I just go, dude, I don't even want to quote your stuff anymore. It's a nightmare. You know, so it's sad. There's, there's, I've watched a lot of skaters lose the soul of skateboarding. And turn it and make it more about money than skateboarding. That's something that never was to me. I thought the money part of everything was always easy. It's not hard to freaking balance dollars and sell stuff, whatever like that. What's hard is keeping your soul. And uh, yeah, it's a fine line. I think it is a because very you also you have to make a living. I, I mean, totally you know, what I mean, so it is a business, but it's like it's also but it's keeping the soul of it. You know, and and sadly, it's like there's not many skater owned companies left. No, there isn't. But and, you know, there's you know there there are some. It's funny. I was part of what I call, uh, like when I started Acme, I say we were real rebels in a false rebellion. That's how I'll describe it. Because all these guys claimed that Vision Pal, Santa Cruz, wherever are, the big corporate guys don't care anything about skateboarding. I'm one of the few guys who got to actually sit in on some of those NSA meetings and stuff like that with those guys. And man, as much as they fought amongst themselves in marketing and advertising, when it came to that room, they cared about skateboarding. You know, they uh, um, they talked about, like, where's the next contest going to be? It's going to be an East Coast one, a Midwest one. We're going to plan it for the best, you know, of all of us for skateboarding. Um, they didn't, like, sell stickers in packs to CVS drugstore and so on and so forth because they knew that was going to undermine money out of the mom and pop shops. And then when the skateboarders took over, 
they're like, fuck that, pardon my language, 50 cents, uh, 50 cents extra in a royalty, we'll take whatever it takes. And they took millions of dollars away from small retailers for just for them to get a bigger royalty because now that now they're getting royalties on their little tech deck stickers everywhere and whatever. And those other guys, which they called the big corporate sellouts, wouldn't do that. They were protecting skateboarding, you know, protecting the mom and pop shops. And then the skaters took over and they completely hoard out everything. And they're really the ones who sold skateboarding up the river were skateboarders, you know, and the guys that were considered the corporate guys really didn't. And that's actually one of the funniest stories in the whole history of skateboarding. Skateboarders came in, raped, pillaged, cashed about, out. What's that? I know you're specifically talking about one specific person, I think. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, there, there's a follow. I mean, I mean, you're probably talking about Rocco World Industries. <laughs> he, no, he was the first to lead lead the everyone into the slaughter. Mm-hmm. But and he was the, and it was pretty actually kind of comical how he got people to kind of stand by his side to flank him when he kind of knew he was going to take the lion's share, give them a little bit, so they'd help give him some kind of protection. You know what I mean? So there was like a little, I was called the Brass Ring Club. You know, those guys had the Brass Ring Club. They were on the first level of phone calls. Then there was a second level of phone calls just because they're in the industry. I was on like the third or fourth level of phone calls because I was going to speak the truth and tell them they were full of shit and, whatever, and they didn't want to hear it, but sometimes they couldn't keep me out of it. So I got I got invited on level three meetings level 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 one but brass ring you know meetings those were that was a different club i wasn't invited into so um but but cumulatively as a whole they all followed you know it was whatever you know i mean i made mistakes i mean for instance because i didn't want to support world industries steve rocco the whole mentality when tech deck first came out i was given a contract to do acme and i and 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 i was told that world industries got part of the royalties and i said nope you know and i walked away from it you know, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I talked to Chris Carter in the workshop. He goes, yeah, my first royalty check was 200 grand. You know, I go, yeah, that would have been nice. But uh, um, so in hindsight, you know, I mean, it, it would have been better. And then but you would have had the 50 but, grand to give but, to Nixon. Yeah, but to <laughs> no, me, sorry. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I love that. Uh, sorry. But to me, money's not the primary thing. I never, again, I had a lot of those guys come. They didn't even know how to set up accounting. They became multi-million dollar companies. They come look at my general ledger accounting. And to me, all that stuff was so easy. The business stuff was just so, I mean, how hard is numbers? You know, four minus three is one. You multiply it with a million on it and take a, it, it still adds up the same. It's not really that difficult, but a lot of guys would let that intimidate them and scare them. And, and I guess that part of it never bothered me, you know? And when we started Acme, we had a really good rhythm. And that's where, that's where Rocco came in and caused a little bit of an issue there is that, you know, Marty, Marty Jimenez worked with me. Mm-hmm. We did channel one. Marty was really good with the team guys, the art guys. Uh, I kept the inventory in stock. I kept the, you know, the paychecks paid and so on and so forth. And, that, and, and that he lured little... and he lured Marty out under false pretenses okay. as if he was going to help him do to do channel one on his own. Mm-hmm. And then he basically left him to die on his own but he took them away from us. I mean, he played devious chess moves. Like I would never do that. My my thing is I want to beat people in business by beating them. I want to make good product. I want to market better if I can. I never want to beat someone by sneaking in their back door and stealing their key person. Um, you know, and he did that. So he did it with Ron Cameron. He, Ron Cameron was my art guy. He hired him and paid him a ludicrous amount of money for the time and then didn't have him do anything. And after like four months, Ron quit. But he hired him to take him away from me. And it's just like, that's, that just says a lot about a person's, you know, soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just don't have that soul. I'm not going to steal your artist unless I kind of know them, like them, we're already friends, and I have a need for them and so on and so forth. I'm definitely not the guy who you're going to ever worry about calling your all your employees whatever, trying to undermine and, and things. So mm-hmm. that's just not my style. So that was, um, you know, I got I got beat up on in quiet little silent ways like that, you know. Um, 
because I was building a factory. I mean, I was doing, I was going, you know, I had all the key ads in the back, the back cover of Transworld, all these key ads, they were creative and, and we were doing really well, building a factory and, and going vertical. And um, I never wanted to be a marketing company like yeah. those guys. That's yeah. all I, I considered most of those guys were. I'm, I'm other than, you know, Paul Schmidt started a wood shop because he ran the vision wood shop and, and, had, and had a reputation. They all worked together. So he was able to kind of start with seeing, I'm the only guy who ever actually was a pro skater who went and built a wood shop, had presses made, and, and, and well, let's talk about that because you, the only board you had, I would say, um, what you had like your first board was like a plastic Gruntech yeah. board, and then you had a Black Knight, and then you won them complete, and then you took off the trucks and the wheels, and you made some out of maple or some or yeah, some well, I don't know what board, wood, but I mean, you made ash was one of the first ash, ones, okay, a solid ash. piece of ash. I made a you board know. carved in the garage. Uh, and then I, my brother and our friends, we made plywood boards, believe uh -huh. it or not. And we would we would put like uh, silica sand and resin on them for crip tape. Okay. And, uh, wow. and, you know, and they were lightweight and they worked okay. We rode pools and everything. We, and a couple of times I like got my finger in a glove stuck on the bolt and rode to the bottom and snapped the board in half. Like, oh, these boards aren't that good. But, um, <laughs> but then I got sponsored pretty quickly. So I literally... That's one of the strangest ironies to me. I've made a couple million skateboards, at least in my factory, and not mentioned had my name on skateboards and all that stuff like that. And yet, I really have never purchased a retail skateboard in my life, yeah. other than those two little 1999 starters that's throwing crazy. the sidewalk. So, yeah, it's just nuts. It's it's pretty cool. And yet, and then also the other side of this is your you know connection to Powerflex as well and to wheels to urethane. You know, hence the the only, the book you're reading right now, or your book you're kind of working on right now. Um, how did that? I mean, how did that sort of come well, about? My, um, the Powerflex thing is is simple in the fact that I rode for Powerflex when I was like 16 years old. I was sponsored by them. Uh, Gail Webb took us around. We did demos at the malls, and uh, we had a really good time. I love her, and, and I know I love Gail too. She's one of the best humans in in the in the world and in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. um, it's sad that not every generation understands how much part she played to keeping skateboarding alive in this world, Ugh. whether it was at Scout-O-Rama or the Fat County Fair or whatever. Not like Out Farm there with demos. the yeah, BMX I mean, guy, skateboard guys, introducing to people about it, always trying to spend a positive message. I mean, I have utmost respect for her and, and her husband, Jim. They did so much work for, for all of us, and they were so kind. So um, uh, I, I love them and can't say enough about them. But so, uh, so that was my PowerFlex connection. I didn't really know, like Bob Ballou, the owner, mm -hmm. you know, one of the founders that much. I met him probably 15 years ago around town, around Huntington, and he'd come by my factory. And um, the last decade or so, we gotten really close. And uh, a few years ago, he started saying, hey, we, I'd really like to launch PowerFlex. He tried about 10 years ago. I'm going, it's not time. Nobody will care. Because I had licensed GNS in the 90s. Okay. And really, nobody cared. I couldn't get anybody to care. I remade the FiberFlex skateboard. Wow. I tried to keep stuff alive. And it was just like, well, it was so we were so in, the, in that whole world industry, street mode thing, that retro was considered so uncool. And this was before the Dogtown movie, all that. So everything was like, we were way too far ahead of ourselves. Um, I mean, even Sector 9. We, Sector 9 was still making plywood flat skateboards. And I had molded curved boards with kicktails that were 52 inches long that were so much better quality, but it didn't matter. They were working the streets in a, from a whole new angle, setting them up in surf shops, loading racks up. I mean, they did a great job. They marketed their mm -hmm. way to, to success. Um, but but my, And I did that with GNS, and, and like I said, but, but it was hard to sell. I did it for two or three years, and GNS was just a difficult thing to sell. So when PowerFlex was coming around saying, let's, you know, let's do some wheels. I'm like, it's just the market's not there yet. So then a few years ago, 
it seems like the, the, the barrier started dropping. Everything started being okay again. People ride longboards. People are freestyling. People are slalom racing. Um, you know, the kids that were street guys are starting to ride tranny because the, the it's funny because I think social media stopped the magazines from making kids think the only thing that skate that was cool was street because social media allowed video and everyone doing what they really did was allowed to show it. The reality is for about 10 years, skateboarding was kind of a lie. What was happening on the street wasn't really what was in magazines. What was in magazines was what Jamie Thomas and Jabla wanted in magazines. And they told them, if you put a longboard in this magazine, we'll pull our ads out. If you do this, that. So skateboarding was being manipulated. Social media allowed skateboarders to come out and show what they're really doing and gave access to a new generation of kids and kids that goes, that looks fun. Kids want to do what's fun. They don't want to do what they're told to do. They're influenced by it heavily for sure, mm -hmm. but they don't want to do what they're told to do. So now these kids are seeing what's really going on in the world. So you're seeing kids, they're hybrid skaters. They're street skaters, but they are tranny skaters. They ride anything. They will ride a curb, a quarter pipe, a pool, you know, anything they find. So skateboarding started opening up again. Um, and so as that happened, that also happened with brands. And I think there was more awareness um, so I said, you know, let's talk about it. So um, Bob Ballou, the founder, had two brothers. One's an attorney, one's like a financial guy. And they said they'd like to help out and get involved. Um, and then they just kind of made me an offer and it was made, it made sense. So I said, let's do it. So so we kind of relaunched PowerFlex. It was fun because, you know, it's fun to look at yourself riding a brand that you rode when you were 16 that now you can say you're on, you're one of the owners of the brand. And um, and I also did that with GNS. So again, I'm one of the only skaters who built a factory. I went back and licensed out the brands I rode for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done a lot of things that nobody else has really done, which is to me is cool, whether they made me millions or not. You know, they they mean a lot to my to my heart and soul. So, yeah, no, totally, it's it's rad. Uh, and then so I mean, GNS to Blockhead. I mean. And then well, so the blockhead story is great. If you want to hear the blockhead story. Yes, and story, Dave so. was trying to get to me. He has yeah. a fractured. He did. He, he, yeah. sent, he sent me a picture of a yeah. middle finger oh, in a in a in a wrap the other day. He did. He did to me driving. <laughs> I was like, I need so, that, Dave. So my my blockhead story is kind of cool, um, in the sense that because I was a guy who didn't buy skateboards. I really didn't pay that much attention to what was on the wall of skate shops. Mm -hmm. So I'm out doing demos in the mid 80s, 86, 87, something like that. I'm in Arizona and there was a big uh, chain called the Bear Cover. They put on lots of demos like that. And I went into one of the stores and I look up on the wall and I saw a board. It was called The Meaning of Life. The graphic was just really cool. It was different than everything people were doing. And, I, and for the first time in a long time, I said to the person behind the counter, I go, hey, can I see that board? And so they hand it to me. I look at it. I'm going, this is really cool. Who did this? And where is this company? And they're like, oh, there's some there's some couple skaters up in Sacramento. And I go, well, it's, it's super cool. And, and I just remember that in my head. So a few months later, I went to the ASR show. Um, and an ASR used to have the big Huge. rectangle arena. And the circle arena yeah. at Long Beach was where they put the upstarts and, you know, see if they'll survive, if they'll ever make it into the big building. Okay, well, so... I was walk and I would always walk the show every year and I walk around the circle building and blockheads literally in the farthest far corner when nobody could find him of the circle building and I saw their booth and I just walked up to the guy Dave and I told him the story and I said I go hey I, you know I don't really pay a lot of attention to skateboards but your skateboards caught my eye and I just wanted to tell you you guys are doing a good job and I'm I'm stoked to see some skaters doing it and I was was giving him just an honest you know high five from a guy you don't know who was stoked to see your stuff and then I literally as I was walking away and Dave's really shy and Dave's like well, you know, if you're ever like between things or whatever, things don't work out, we could use a little bigger name, you know? And I just, I just go, I'll keep that in mind. I, I you know, I'll, I remember that, you know what I mean? And he was a nice guy and I liked him. So not 
long after that, I can't remember who I was writing for at the time, but but I had quit GNS mm-hmm. and I literally quit GNS just because it was like GNS had kind of drifted off to becoming mostly a clothing company. They weren't paying a lot of attention to skateboarding at the time. There was no bad blood. There was no fights. Kind of like, guys, I'm just going to kind of move on and do my own thing. And uh, and I ended up doing something with Haro Bicycles because Bob Haro, I rode their pads uh-huh. and I was part of their pad team. I would go in the office all the time. And I see I like Bob Haro because he was a little more like me. He was clean. He was creative. He was he was just not you know, wild and crazy. I mean, he probably was his own way, but not too bad. But then he said, let's make a skateboard. So we ended up making skateboards for Haro. Wow. Um, so I actually have a very, it's probably going to be very collectible someday because there's one run done of Jim Gray model Haro skateboards and some other boards. And then some company made them an offer to buy their company. Um, so this only went down. Literally, mm-hmm. they made one round and some distributor offered to buy Haro bicycles. And, uh, and they did. And they said they didn't want to do skateboards. So they canned the project. And so I literally called Dave up. And I said, hey, you know what? Let's talk. You know, I like your brand. It's cool. You know, I'd like to help you. Um, you know, and I, and you know, most people get like, oh, whatever, a buck and a half a board. I want two bucks a board. I want this. I made some little negotiations, but I go, but I'll help you. I'll connect you with wheels. That's one of the first things I do. I got the Blockhead Wheel program started, did their wild things and all that, and got Dave hooked up with my, my friend because I was also doing the Tracker Wheel program mm-hmm. at the time. So, um, and that the wheels helped Blockhead substantially. It helped take them to a whole other level because, again, there's less players in the market. So, Blockhead sold a lot of wheels. So, that combined to the skateboards um, was good. And the Blockhead thing was just fun. They were out of a dentist's office in, in Roseville. I'd go up there. They were screen printing in, in one old dental office. The next one, they were, uh, you know, stocking shirts. I mean, it was a really, a really funny and cool place. And, and, and I sold 10 times more board on Blockhead than I ever did with even GNS because yeah. GNS was sort of in the dead days of skateboarding. We'd sell a few hundred of this and that, and Blockhead. We sold thousands of boards, and it was yeah, uh, it was just a, just a really team good time throughout the years. Is oh, amazing. we had a re- I mean, I, it's funny. I remember sitting watching Rick Howard's sponsor me video. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's like you know icon in skateboarding. I remember. I still never forget the gold rails in the downtown you know in in Canada where he was mm-hmm. from, and it was like it was one of the most well edited videos and stuff like that. It was funny. He must have either known somebody or been obsessed with that stuff himself, but. Uh, um, yeah, and that's a blockhead had a great team. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's just, it's, it's an overwhelming group of skaters. It's pretty rad. And then I, I talked to Steve Size, and he mentioned something about his brother and Scooter's Ranch and oh you my. doing a backflip. <laughs> doing a backflip? Or actually, no. We used to, fu- we used to battle all the time. Yeah. We used to, you did, he said you, that, uh, Jim tried to snake Marco, which Marco in turn flipped the chase around and ended up pushing him off the back of the ramp. I think he did a full flip and landed on his feet. Oh, maybe. But then which we was pretty we, amazing. We, we would do bite. We would do battle on the ramp. Is yeah, that thing we'd yeah. Do with That's Marco what we do. Yeah. We would drop in and literally whoever's super fun. how you knock each other off the board. So we would just start at the flat bottom, start kick turning, and we could use a tranny and we would slam into each other. It would be like uh, it was like roller derby on yeah, the ramp. On the yeah. <laughs> Last person standing on their board, anything goes. You yeah, can grab, Jim pull, and Marco kick, always. You know battle it out yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was always done in a fun way but with you know there totally was there were serious so boy sad. hormones involved <laughs> trying to trying to beat each other up and knock each other off but uh yeah we had a good time but did i do a backflip maybe i mean yeah, it, said, it, yeah, i think it, he did a flip and landed on his feet yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I love doing backflips but uh, <laughs> i could see it so fun um, and, and you know that's the awesome thing about skateboarding just the fact that i don't see them often or real, but if I see Steve or I see Marco, it's always a, just a good vibe. Yeah, they're you know? good guys. I, I've known them only. I've known them from like music. From and then I used to snowboard with. Actually, I used to snowboard with uh, Marco and Steve as well. Ninety, um, and that's how I got to know them. You know, and then skated as well. So that's cool. 
Uh, I talked to Malcolm, too, and he said Jim is funny. He wouldn't hesitate to tell the team from time to time how much he needed. He didn't need them for sales <laughs> <laughs> of skateboards. He says, ha-ha. He said, skateboarders sell themselves. I just have a team to back up. Um, and well, and that's I, true. I, I guess that, that tell Jim I love him. That's fine. And let me tell you my viewpoint on that. That was one of the hardest things because I started acting. I didn't make pro models because I was really frustrated. That my the, favorite the, sticker, the, by the way, um, the too, is, model is, sticker. Is, yes, yeah. uh, I still have I it still on have my toolbox. One. I can find you another one. I have it on my toolbox. Um, okay. But I so I started skateboarding. I'm like, you know, I can't just follow everybody and do what everybody does. And I look around and go, you know what? I mean, even though I was a bottom of the barrel pro skateboarder, as far as I'm concerned, I got in the, in the mid 20s or whatever like that, but I was never in the top 10 riding with those guys. But I was there. I was there for all that stuff through the late 70s, through the, through the 80s, all the ramp contests, all that. I still, I respected how people became pro skateboarders. It was mostly competitive. Mm -hmm. You mostly had to prove yourself. So even if you were going to be the guy who got last place, you were never allowed to enter a pro contest if you didn't really kind of qualify to get there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now um, mostly, and I'm going to say, from my standpoint, I think we talked about a little bit with Ron Allen. H Street kind of started it, stealing everyone's team riders uh, and giving them pro models. And so pretty much all of skateboarding turned all the amateur skaters pro. So we went from about 50 or 60 pro models, which is already a pretty ludicrous number if you really think mm -hmm. about it compared to the world of sales. And then we went to 200 plus. So I'm starting a skateboard company. I'm going like, I will feel like the biggest moron in the world the day I put some guy's name on a skateboard who literally doesn't have the stature of pro model. He might be a great skateboarder. There's lots of great skateboarders, lots of great AMs, lots of great, you know. So, but, I, but for me to have been a pro skateboarder who, at least I felt like I earned that title through literally battling against Lance Mountain, Steve Cow, you know, all these guys for years. Um, you know, so, so I might have gotten, you know, bottom of the pack, but I earned that. But to see them just now giving it because some guy, they edited a video apart for him, and, and then you'd see him at a contest, and, and he got last place and probably shouldn't have even been in the contest, but he was willing to throw himself down bigger stuff. So he turned pro skateboarding into stunt boarding. That's in a sense what was happening. And I personally couldn't put people's names on boards that I don't feel had earned it through the way that to me made sense. So that was turned on me that people would say, oh, Jim doesn't want to support pro skateboarding. He's trying not to pay. And I, pay, I paid lots of pros. I paid pros ride trucks, wheels, boards. Um, I just didn't want to put people's names on things because I thought it was it truly was an embarrassment to me as how I looked at it. Mm -hmm. um, and now, and I was hoping, and I started it that way, hoping that people would see that and start telling brands that came out with boards that made no sense. Like, why would you put this guy's name on a board and sort of reject it and hope that it would kind of bring its way back towards a little bit more logic, but it didn't. It went the other way. It went ridiculous. Now a pro model literally means nothing. Shops have pro models. You know, little brands have pro models. Anybody have, I mean, there, there's so many hundreds of pro models that having a pro model is no longer an elite thing. Having a pro shoe now is more the elite thing in skateboarding because the shoe companies don't as quickly give shoes out. But even then, I've seen plenty of shoes where I've never even heard a guy's name before. And you're like, wow. So my thing was I was just watching this chaos starting to take place in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. uh, I was frustrated because I saw all these guys I grew up with starting companies and just doing anything for money not caring at all that they knew that guy really wasn't a pro. Give him a model so he doesn't quit and go ride for someone else. It became this big fear thing. We don't know how to keep them with us if someone else is going to offer him more money. And so, I mean, like I said, sadly, I watched skateboarders come in and destroy what kind of made their the, what skateboarding, as far as the professional aspect of it, somewhat legitimate. They destroyed it, and they just handed it off to another generation who now they don't even understand how it ever was so they wouldn't even probably understand my viewpoints on it. When I hear a pro skater say, you know, how, how long do you think your career is? And he says, I think I have five video parts left. I'm like, Jesus, really? 
Like you're talking like you're a Hollywood actor. Like I want to know like your skateboarding, not your video parts. I mean, to me, like I said, that just doesn't equate. I get it. I don't even say it's necessarily bad. It's just different that a kid coming up, like a young kid, you tell a kid what you asked you, how do I get to become a pro skateboarder? hang out with till the right person decides you're a pro skateboarder who's connected to the right things mm -hmm. and puts your name on stuff, whatever. There's no system, you know, whereas if you want to become a pro there surfer. There always was a system. Know, it um, was you, you worked, you, you got coverage in the magazines, you got uh, video parts and, or there was the few that could do all three and you did well in contests. I agree. There was and levels. Now there it's was a little more vague. Years, it was two years. You, you built your name up and then, and then your board sponsor turned you pro. But you had to do all those things, and it shifted. In the 2000s, it stopped that. Well, now it's just crazy. Now now I just see every other freaking week, I just see a random, like, uh, pro model release party for some guy you've never heard of. Um, he doesn't even know he's getting a board. They just they just pull it out, and they hand it to him. You this know, And they go, good. here's your board. You're pro now. And they all take pictures, and they post it, and thank you. And you're I welcome. think it's kind of funny. I'm like, oh, you're, you're pro now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the guy didn't know he was going to be pro yesterday. And it's like... It, that to me, it's just kind of sad that there's not any, there's no official way to become pro, except for anybody who's considered cool enough to turn you pro just says you're pro and they put your name on something. And um, I, don't, I don't know, like I said, it's, it's a really, it's a sad, chaotic thing that uh, it just, it just took away part of my, the soul that I felt is in the eighties that when you bought a pros board, kids, they wanted to be pro, so they followed Caballero. They followed whatever. Even Jim Gray, kids who had five Jim Gray boards, whatever. I was a nobody, but still, they sold a thousand Tony Hawk boards for every fifty Jim Gray boards. That was cool. That made sense to me. Um, but then it just all got divided up, and I started as a manufacturing, uh, as a manufacturer, watching that in the nineties. You know, Alien Workshop would run the same volume, the same quantity of every pro's board. You know what I mean? And one guy might reorder a couple hundred because it wasn't truly the pros that were selling them. It was the brand, the image that the pros helped the brand have. And and shops just go, yeah, give me one of each. You know, and I would watch kids go into stores and literally lay boards in the ground and go, yeah, I like this one. They look at the shape, they go, like, oh, you want, you know, this board? I wouldn't say the name. They go, oh, yeah, cool. Didn't even know who they were buying because there's so many people. Kids can't follow 600 dudes and know who's really good. But you have to also come, I mean, that's, I think, parallel to how big skateboarding has gotten. I mean, it's become the new soccer over the last 10 years. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of participants. You know, you know, there's a lot of skate. I mean, and so it's it's a shift. Now, let's shift, though. I want to go because I also, uh, we've got about eight minutes, uh, seven minutes. And so I want to also talk about Turdy Park. About what? Murdy Park. Murdy Park, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> I feel, I'm very proud of that. No, it was Be the because, first skate park yeah. in Huntington. Like, there was nothing there. No, sk that that, that started the revolution Huntington. in this country. That started the country's revolution to build skate parks again. It truly did. You know, and it started because they banned skateboarding on mostly Beach Boulevard or something like that. You can't ride in the commercial districts. And so we just got, you know, irritated and, and got all the locals to go there. Marty, me, you know, just all the guys from Huntington Jose. showed up. Yeah, Jose. I Serta, skated that thing. Um, all, all those guys, and we just went to the city council and started beating on them, and they started doing the research. And and they the reason Murdy Park has done so kind of poorly, we could say, uh, is Huntington Beach self-insured it. They're a self-insured city. And so they, they rely on their own rules, which said anything that was 18 inches or under was capable of being self-insured. It was the same rule they applied to a playground. Yeah. They wouldn't build a curb taller than 18 inches in a playground. No, but this was monumental um, because uh, this was the first one built. And it, because it we skated park, we skated mini, mar, mini malls, I mean, which is what I love, just like ledges in the parking lot and Huntington High. Like I would skate in Huntington, you know, and TSA ramp. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no, I, I agree. I mean, I'm really proud of that because I stood there with a shovel, put the no, shovel so in the ground rad, with a yeah. group, and you know, and later on, I helped get the public skate park development guide written. And you know, I feel it's nice, at least for myself, to know that in the background, I was helping be a spark to feed people information. You know, um, that the, the Murdy thing allowed people around the country to start thinking. Hey, cities can have skate parks. You know, later on, we did the thing through, it was basically an I asked Tony Hawk Foundation and Skaters Public Skate Parks mm-hmm. uh, collaboration, the Public Skate Park Development Guide. Uh, and that really sparked from me bugging the I asked guys all the time. We need to do something to advocate for skate parks because they only get built when people go and beat on the city council. So we need, I don't even care if it's a three-page pamphlet, you got to get it into the skate shop so they hand it out. So we started talking about that during the middle of our conversation, Skaters Public Skate Parks, the group, um, started up mm-hmm. and they even started some chatter when they heard we're going to do it. Like what's wrong with those industry dudes? And I, and I said, Whoa, back off dudes. You don't have a, I'm the only guy in the industry who's actually trying to advocate. Those guys don't even know you exist. You know? So I introduced this group, skaters, Sk- 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 skate parks to the industry. Um, and then basically we decided let's not be what skateboarders always do and do the indie tracker thing and fight. Let's collaborate. Mm-hmm. You know? So we got the skaters for public skate parks guys, who um, wrote most of this, and they had all these advocates, and you know, I got to be good friends with them. I flew out to their things out in Arkansas and stuff like that, and then we got Tony Hawk Foundation to pay to print it, so it was a, a honorable guide, not done by again, no co- no corporate money put into it. Uh, it was just a you know, it was, it was a great collaboration. So they they printed about ten thousand copies of that, and it's still available. I think it helped people all over this country learn about city councils, learn about. You know, fighting the battle and oh, totally. so, um, I mean, so yeah. I, so if I talk about things I'm proud of in skateboarding, being no, any that is part huge. of in the background that's of why starting I to bring that it revolution, up. yeah, it was huge because yeah. there was nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. You and know, now there's thousands of skate parks. Yeah. So um, you know, there was I think there was the grind up in Northern. I mean, everything was yeah. you pay, you pay or yeah. you know, you pay for it. it wasn't public, and you know, I'd skate skate one uh, or oh my gosh. Was the other one I know you're talking Skate Street uh, in Ventura? There was the Ventura Street, one yeah. too, but even before then though I would skate the Powell, yeah. which the, was you know, awesome. The Powell Warehouse, that. you know, and then the grind, both the grinds up in Sacramento, um, you know. But yeah, I mean there wasn't anything. There just wasn't anything. And then uh, three minutes though, Olympics. Your thoughts on the Olympics? Um, it, to me, I don't really care. You know what I mean? It's just like it's you can't stop the the world's going to want part of anything that people do in in large forces. So they, they like skateboarding. Um, it's going to happen every four years. Is it going to change what we do with skateboarders? Not really. It, it's probably going to open up cities to build skate parks that otherwise wouldn't have, you know, um, so that'll, that'll help as long as they don't make them all the same, that would suck. You know, if I go to Chicago, I don't want someone to take me to the park. That's a duplicate of the one I already rode in Colorado the last week. And the one that's would be the horrible part of it. But as long as they allow skateboarding to be creative, more like, you know, every golf course is different. They're not all the same. You know, skateboard courses should all be different and varying. Uh, as long as they don't mess with that, I don't really care. Those who want to be in the Olympics can be in the Olympics. Those who don't, don't. And I can say, hey, kids, I already have Olympic gold. I entered a senior Olympics contest oh, <laughs> a few years nice, back nice. that Chris Yandel put on. So I have a gold medal in the senior Olympics. So poo-poo on all you kids who are going off for the Olympics. Uh, I've already got <laughs> Olympic gold. I beat you. And there was no drug testing either. Was there, there was no, no drug testing either. <laughs> no. And I would have passed anyway. So, um. <laughs> oh, that's good. Congratulations on that gold. It's funny. I have that medal. I keep meaning to post that on Instagram wherever I go. I already have Olympic gold. Yeah, if you San want to coach. You got a coach here. Coach. Well, Dale Smith has lately taken me under his wing, forcing me to do 360s. He 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 thinks I can spin my age. 
So oh. I'm 56, and we've been practicing for a few. He comes by like once a week and makes me spin 360s. Oh, that's <laughs> so cute. It is funny. <laughs> I am getting better at it, but I'm not necessarily spinning more. I'm just getting better form. So we'll see. No, that's cool. That's. I cool. just like skateboarding. Skateboarding. I know fun. you do. You have you always, you know, and I've you know I've known you like I said I think since '90, 90, '91. I remember going to Acme, and that ramp in the the corner. Uh, I mean, oh, it was, was wedged fun. up yep. like it was, um, it was like, like a triangular just Jim Jimmy yeah. in there. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> sick, uh, creative, and uh, and then skating. I want to say skating like TSA ramp and Vulcan and Vulcan mini ramp and that's what we had. That Vulcan mini ramp was like what three feet? That was fun. I mean, that was just tiny. That was just that was super. I tiny. mean, Costa Mesa. I'm proud to be in Costa Mesa. We have held down skateboarding. This was some of, good stuff. You know, I mean, this is like early. This is probably like 94, 95. We still have and like seven or, seven or eight ramps in Costa Mesa. Within yeah. a mile of my shop, they're everywhere. Right. You know. That's cool. I love it. I mean, that's why the Wednesday night I get to see you. We skate uh, Conway's. Conway's. Yeah, right. which is such a great. It's a great session. Great session. Fun bowl. I was bowl. at his place yesterday. Oh, were you? Yeah. Thanks for calling. Oh, you see your mom. No, no I, I was with my mom. Okay. I, yeah, I picked up some couches he was looking to get rid of and oh. put them in my shop and. Nice. We're rushing some stickers for him. Like I said, my whole world's all intertwined with with our whole culture, and I love that. It makes me happy. No, it's really cool. All right. Well, you guys, uh, we've run out of time, but I'm super thankful for you to come in studio and all that you've done. Well, and and to time. know you and skate with you over the decades. I just dated myself. Um, <laughs> you can follow Jim if you're not on Grace Slide on Instagram or Jim Gray on Facebook. And are yeah. you on Twitter? Uh, I am on Twitter, but I never use it. Okay, I didn't I think. think so. I couldn't find yeah. you. I thought I could, and then I couldn't. I mean, it's, I'm on there, but I don't. Uh, what are Jim you on Jam there? or Grace Slide or I don't. Know. Okay, Jim. I, Jam. I think I share things sometimes, like my Instagram post might just post on Twitter, but I don't even follow to see if anybody okay. looked at okay. it. So I've never developed quite the Twitter following, you know. Hey, Twitter's um, challenging. You got to really uh, well, be on it there. Is, and like I just I, I never. I honestly I like the f the photographic aspect of it. I like Facebook for socialization. If you comment, I see it, uh -huh. and other people see it. And we're all sharing together. Instagram, I like the simplicity of just seeing what's going on. Twitter to me is too um, too texty. It's just too. It's, it's what it, it's like a for emergencies. It's awesome uh, for earthquakes, oh, yeah. for sporting events, for you know, for it's like for me. It's depending on who I follow, but you know, it's it's a it's like a ticker, like a stock market ticker of what's going on. You know, depending on who you're following. You know, so I get a, a glimpse of what's think going I on. Post a lot. And I don't, I post like one in a hundred photos I take or whatever. I take probably 20 photos coming in So you here have a I problem taking yeah. photos. I have a photo no. problem <laughs> taking. But I also, I like things. I share them with friends. But I don't, um, I don't have that time to share that, all that stuff with everybody. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I really don't post very much at all in my regard. So I don't have time to throw Twitter into the mix. No, yeah. And you need to do it differently. And then also I wanted to share just uh, some wave soda with you as well. Thank you. Um, you know, that's, it's pretty good. And there's a, um, and I brought you some coffee. Wow, well, you know, I like my coffee. I, li I know you. Like I didn't. Coffee. I don't talk this fast and hyperactive with uh, without, without caffeine. <laughs> Actually, I think I do. Dung, dung, dung. Oh, so, yeah. well, I appreciate, it. and I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate you being a good friend all these years. You've always been nothing but a solid person. You've, I've never uh, felt any controversy or strange sounds. You've always been straightforward. I appreciate that in people. 
Um, as we know in this culture, we have to be careful. There's little side swipers from every direction of people that are going through their phases and, and we have to deal, but it's always nice to have the people that you never felt like there was a phase going on. You just kind of, they're always there. They're pretty stable. Yeah. You know, they, they do their thing. We all have our ups and downs. I've had chaos in my life. This time I try not to spill too much of that forward onto yeah, everybody else. Totally. But, uh, yeah. But thank you for being a you know, oh, stable no. and solid human oh, in, you rock, in the Jim. world. Well, thank you, Jim. All right, you guys, uh, coming up next week, Deshaun Jordan, uh, and uh, I've got a training camp as well, an SLS, and a bunch of other people coming in studio. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio, and I'm out.